What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. Wealth Without Wall Street Tribe, this is the replay of episode six of our book review of Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. In this episode, we uncover how you can create your own banking system using life insurance. We also share some of my early investing blunders and how important setting up the system properly is. I hope you're enjoying this blast from the past and that is getting you fired up to continue to grow and optimize your system or to get one started. When that time comes, don't hesitate to reach out to one of our coaches by going to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash free call. They will be happy to walk you through our IBC accelerator program to get you started right. Now let's dive into episode six in our series covering the iconic book, Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome. This is the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Your host, Joey, the Italian stallion Mure, joined as always by Russ, the idea guy, Morgan. Russ, as you know, uh, we are in the process of moving. Unexpectedly, I tell people we accidentally sold our house how about do you, 10 days ago. <laughs> how do you accidentally sell your house, Dan? Well, I mean, it just happens when your wife says, hey, um, some friends of ours, sisters moving to town, they can't find anything and uh, they like our neighborhood. I think I'm just gonna have them come look at ours. Uh-oh. And then uh, next thing you know, that night we have a contract, full asking price. They, oh, by the way, they did not ask for anything on the inspection. When does that happen? That's, that's right there is when you know desperation has set in, <laughs> or you guys have the best house out there, and they're just like, get it before he, tur- he changes his mind. Well, hey, I, I just think bottom line, the, when the Lord makes it like clear and obvious, he just makes it clear and obvious. Like, okay, we're supposed to sell right now, even though we don't have a place to move. You know that, right? <laughs> well, I think a couple of things has come to mind. One, you've pissed off a lot of people who, <laughs> who've owned houses that have tried to sell them and are, are maybe still trying to sell them. And they're like, what are you talking about? You didn't have to go through all the hassle of oh. going through and listing this house and having, you know, 900 open houses and all the other junk that goes oh. selling a house. Get somebody to literally come through, make you an offer and be gone. Yeah. Yeah. It, then not having planned that that's probably the other side of this it, well with with a newborn add a newborn in the mix and yeah. moving to an unknown location at this point in like three weeks um that's that's a little stressful but 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 hey in the middle of all this 
Guess what I uncovered? What? what? We have started to uh, like started to pack some things up. I found the original investment of a lifetime that I had. The original investment of a lifetime. Yeah, okay, this is good. I was gonna I was gonna make it rich, Russ. I have my original stock certificate of CMKM diamonds. CMKM diamonds. What does that stand okay. for? Okay, so I'm sure everybody else has had the same thing because it was such a hot hot uh, stock tip, you know. <laughs> penny stock. You can buy like a million shares for nothing. <laughs> I mean, I put like thousands of dollars into this just, <laughs> and it was going to go through the roof. And now I have a completely worthless piece of paper that says I own 9.7 million shares <laughs> of CMKM diamonds. Oh it's completely goodness. defunct. Oh man, you've been better off buying scratch offs. <laughs> hundred percent. But I also uncovered one other thing. You, you'll remember this, the original whole life policy that I had before I met you, I had just started and it was a whopper. I mean, this thing was so good. Oh, so, well, I mean, I guess it's only fitting you would find that as we were going through creating your own banking system through dividend paying life insurance chapter in Nelson's book today. Exactly. And I also realized as I was looking through the, the pages, how drastically opposite it was set up than what Nelson talks about. <laughs> so it was not, it was not cash full. No, it was cash poor. <laughs> uh, as they say, in fact, that if I had kept on the uh, same, pr you know, process of funding it, a massive 200 and something dollars a month, um, it would have taken me 19 years before it ever broke even. No, bro. I looked at that thing. It was going to be like 28 years. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. <laughs> 28 years. So, yeah, um, I'm grateful that we did not continue that and that we uh, actually set up a banking function that does work. Um, so, thank you for, for helping me set that up so many years ago. But, but that policy was in 2009. And it just goes to show I had no idea that it was not set up properly. I did not understand what was going on. I was just told this is a bond alternative. This is something that will kind of even out your, your portfolio, Joey. You should have a little bit over here. Right. Well, I mean, as we dive into this page 21 and becoming your own banker, the first quote I think is fitting for that. It said, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. That's obviously that's from the Bible, right? That's Jesus basically saying you should be a good steward with your money. And Joey, you bought an insurance policy. It was, you basically buried that talent in, in the sand. It sounded like I did. In fact, I goes to show you, I didn't even know it was life insurance. <laughs> I did at the time. You remember this? You're like, hey, so, you know, tell me what you're doing. We're, we're kind of got this thing going. These policies, and I, you should read this book. I'm like, yes, I want some of this. And you're like, by the way, you already have some, and it's the worst <laughs> policy of all time. Um, and I'm like, oh, well, okay, I need to get out of that. So, anyways, that that was in. But you won't be the first nor the last, right? I mean, this That's is right. a common occurrence that. We, we've acquired things in our day. We didn't know what they were for. We thought we were doing a good thing. And turns out it, it wasn't perfect, right? Being, it, you were solving for the wrong functionality. And, and this chapter, I, as I love 
kind of diving into this part, he, he kind of covers a lot of different things, right? He's going to tell Absolutely. us, one, how the insurance companies build the products. And he's going to kind of get into how the, ham, how, how the hamburger is made, right? Right. But I, honestly, I don't want us to get stuck on that because I think the issue here, and he, he mentions it at least two times in this chapter, is if you know what's going on, you'll know what to do. Yeah. So well, that's, that's the reason why he wants to dive into some of the details of how the policy set up, not because he wants you to become an expert in engineering insurance policies, but he wants you to understand what's going on so that you're much more confident knowing why you would choose this vehicle to set up a banking function. Well, and I think banking function is super important. We just got to find the right vehicle. And then he starts explaining why this would be ideal. Yeah, I think he, he basically, as the way I look at this chapter, I see him kind of saying, hey, back off a little bit, right? You're too close to it. You're, you're seeing everything in this like micro viewpoint. If you pull back a little bit, you're going to recognize that you, in his famous line, your need for finance is greater than your need for life insurance protection. Okay, then, so how, how is that a problem though, Russ? Because I think this is, this is critical for us to uncover don't we all believe the opposite? Aren't we being told that we need to have this life insurance protection and we're not really focused on the matter of finance? Well, yeah, I mean, he goes through that example in here. We can go through it, but he says that, you know, somebody he takes that all American mail that we were talking about a second ago, a couple chapters back. And he says, you're making 28,500 and you know, they've got 36 years to live course he's going to have a higher average income over time maybe that equals out to eight hundred thousand. well he says well you know obviously in today's present value if you took some nominal interest rate and discounted it maybe it's it would cost four hundred thousand to sub to produce that stream of income for 36 years so well wouldn't you protect that wouldn't you buy insurance on that and that's where we're taught right we're taught to protect our human life value we're taught that you know, if something happens to us, we need to have insurance. And so what do we want to do? We want to pay as little as we possibly can to get it. It's like you, you know, putting in pennies for that stock, right? You wanted to be able to get a, you know, I mean, penny stock is probably one of those great values. It's, it's a wonderful thing. I can put pennies in to get something. Yeah. I'm, I'm banking on having, and this is a good, this is a good point. We all talked about is, that you're putting in as little as you can to get the biggest return possible. So you're asking of something an unreasonable expectation. Whereas if we really zoom out, as you mentioned, what Nelson's pointing out here is that the banking function, it's slow and steady, but it's super profitable over lifetime. In fact, we're going to get to this, but later on in the chapter, he talks about it could take 20 to 25 years of just the slow plodding along, doing the right thing, doing like taking this banking function over for that person, that individual to be able to have all the capital that they need to run their personal finance through. Yeah. Well, it thinks there's nothing be, sexy about that. It just takes time. Well, I mean, it's a, here, here's the thing is that most people want it now, right? In the day of one day prime delivery now, right? We're moving into a, <laughs> a, an age where, I mean, my, my wife and I went and looked yesterday at Costco for some, some bedding for our 401 Lake House. And, you know, we're buying like sheets and pillows and all this stuff. 
And it, it was just like, how, how quickly though are we going, you know, we caught ourselves just like everybody else, like, you know, looking at Amazon and looking at the price on the, on the shelf, determining, Absolutely. do I want to go ahead and pick it up today? Or am I willing to wait two days and have it shipped to the house and save 10%? It, the retail store is going out the window. We want things now. We, it, it, that's the only thing that's going to keep these stores alive is that, but as soon as Amazon gets this one day shipping down, I can see all those things going away. Right. Well, so th- let's dive into this. So this is the chapter pages 21 through 25. We're going to go through creating your own banking system through dividend paying life insurance. This is a great chapter. There's a lot of really good meat in here. And we're going to, we're going to start at the first part when he's talking about how the policy is built. And he says, don't be surprised that you're, your insurance policy may perform differently than someone else's. That's the reason why we can't necessarily listen to everything that we hear out there. Just because if I would have talked to you, had I not been doing what I'm doing and I just came and said, Hey, tell me, you know, 10 years later after your experience with this life insurance policy you bought and the one that you bought that we were just going through a second ago and you say, well, let me look at it. I be honest. I hadn't even thought about it. I've put, yeah, I put money in it for 10 years and I have about a third of what I put in it. Would you be um, like explaining to me how great of a deal that was? Uh, no, the chances are I would be like shocked and feel like I got scammed basically. And you probably would be wanting to get rid of it at that point. Absolutely. If you, I mean, what happens a lot of times these things get stuffed in a drawer like that stock certificate that you have, you don't <laughs> think about it. And then when you pull it out of the drawer, you go, wait a second, this thing kind of is stinky. Yeah. But if at the end of the day, what you have done for the last 10 years with these other policies has been to acquire other things, right? So you were thinking about how to use the item and that experience has been a little bit different, true? Absolutely. Yeah. It's been a a far more profitable endeavor than uh, just stuffing money into something that's not efficient. Well, that's, that's kind of his point is that it's the the part of this is that we as the owners of this contract, not the insurance company, will dictate its outcome and its performance. Now, should we find good insurance company? Absolutely. And as you and I know, we're we're at the process right now of looking at different insurance companies, and we we may need some improvement in some of that. But the the key is at the at the gut level, we've got to function better as owners of the of the policy because that's where our true thing is. Well, Joey, he goes into talking about where does insurance companies put money, right? Because sometimes people say, hey, I see the market. I hear, you know, uh, Robert Murphy on your podcast. We found other people and they're, they're talking about the impending doom, right? The impending right. financial crisis. Well, how will that impact these insurance companies? What does he have to say about how these insurance companies are invested? That's right, Russ. So insurance companies invest in very conservative things. They're investing in things like bonds and mortgages. We're talking just plain Jane, 30-year fixed mortgages, things that have been around their steady eddy for years and years and years. And what's the most speculative thing they do? The only, where they really step out of the, the gates is real estate. Real estate developments, things that are, again, more solid than speculative. He calls them speculative in the book, but these things have been paying off in big ways. But see, what are, what are insurance companies, why can't they invest in speculative things, right? When we talk about the hierarchy of wealth and we put speculation on top, the place that you can't influence, that you can't control, how much cash flow do those type of investment typically produce? 
Uh, none, zero. Zero. Insurance companies work off cash flow, don't they? They need cash flow to keep coming in because they know there's there's expenses, there's death claims, and other things that they have to pay. It, isn't that what we're trying to produce? By the way, is cash flow? Hundred percent, absolutely. We are aligned in that same a function. But but that's different. Like the reason you got the the what it, what was the name? KCBD? MKM Diamonds. Don't make me keep saying it over, okay? Yeah, whatever that is. I mean, people are going to go look that up and just see what a bad <laughs> idea that was. But but that was a put money in with the hope of this big, huge windfall, right? There's people right now, they're buying Bitcoin and Ethereum, and it is under the premise of, man, it's going to double, triple, quadruple in value. I, I see you crossing your fingers, Joey. <laughs> yeah. If you can't see me, I have my, cross, my fingers crossed in the air, just like, please pay off. Well, but, that, but you didn't buy the currency. What you bought was the computers that mine the currency, right? It's That's like, right. That, that was the value. You're trying to create cash flow. Now, now you're wanting the, the currency to increase because then you want to increase the value of your rent, but in essence. That's right. But at the end of the day, that's, insurance companies are operating very soundly in their function. Shouldn't right. we emulate that same process? 100%. Absolutely. So let, let's break down, I mean, we're not going to get into all the details, but let's break down really quickly some of the key aspects of how these policies have been designed so that we can understand, again, what's going on and therefore why we should use this as our basis of, of financing our lives. Well, one of the things he said, you got to know that there's actuaries. These are kind of like engineers, mathematicians who are building out these uh, these insurance policies. They're the ones calculating what's the rate of death, what's the administrative expenses, what is the you know what is our uh, portfolios earning over long periods of time, and they go in and they calculate all of this stuff, and and then they go in and they have to put in a function because they know these uh, that the policy has to grow to equal the death benefit in the future, and that's okay. one of the functions that I think gets missed a lot. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system? Stallion, that's why we created the passive income operating system, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to whatswhatwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared, though, for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30-second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. Yeah, that, let's, let's spend a, just a couple seconds on that. This thing is guaranteed. It's required to get better every single year. It's required to get better every single year. What else do we have in life that tells us that that's how that, that this is supposed to work? It doesn't happen like nothing else happens like that. This I thing, thought you were going to say what else gets better every single year. And I was going to say my wife, right? Ah, besides sure. that, I mean, of sure course, that with her, by the way. Our, <laughs> of course, our wives uh, know that. I mean, I, that was also a given. That's why. Right. I, but there's not very many things there. Most of the things that we purchase depreciate in its value. 
Yeah, 100%. And, and what he's saying is that this is an actual an asset that gets better every single year. It's designed to. The, 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 the policy's cash value must grow to equal the death benefit. Most people don't understand the way whole life policies work. The death benefit obviously is a larger number than what we're putting in cash. And these actuaries are designing it to where if you think about how a plane lands, right, it's coming down at, at a fairly steep angle and then it starts to slowly, slowly, as, you know, take that angle off and all my airplane drivers out there are like, Russ, you don't know what the crap you're talking about, but this is my image of it. Yeah, they're, they're not called airplane drivers, by the way. They're called pilots. Well, that's what Nelson would call them. That's what okay. call them drivers. <laughs> but as, it, as it's coming down to the ground, what does it start to do? It slows that, that angle starts reducing that angle to ultimately it lands hopefully softly on the ground, right? right? Well, the same thing, if you think in reverse of that, that's the way the cash value is growing toward the death benefit. It's going up at this kind of sh sharp, steep angle as time's going on. And then as it starts to reach the death benefit at age, age 100 or age 121, depending on the way the policy is built, is that it slowly starts to gradually uh, level off to where it will meet it at that age. Well, there, there's very few things out there that get better as time goes on, but these policies were actually designed to where the cash value is guaranteed, Joe, guaranteed to grow to equal that value. Yeah. So that, if, if we know that, if we are designing policies in light of that, we know that, man, I've got something that's getting better over time. So then he uses an airplane as an example. He said, imagine you've got enough fuel on the airplane that would be able to fly 10,000 miles. That's a lot of weight. Yeah. He said, now think, think about it. Now you've flown 8,000 miles. That airplane can do things at that point that it could have never done early on because now it's that much lighter. But yet the engines are still producing the same amount of power. What's happening? It's becoming more and more efficient every single mile that it goes. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's a, a critical uh, analogy just to start thinking about how the longevity of these policies are super important. In fact, that's one of the main things that Nelson's always told us is think long range. So that's another thing he hits on in here in this chapter is to continue that mindset. You have to think long range. That's what he mentions. It might take us 20 to 25 years to build these policies, this system of policies that will be big enough to finance all of our lifestyle. But isn't it worth it? I mean, you may be at a point in life where 20, 25 years puts you at the end of your life. But isn't it something we can pass on? If we've done the right things, wouldn't you want to be the one that has started the banking function for the rest of your family? And isn't it worth it? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I'm going to pull us back one step because he, he was talking about these insurance policies in light of how they're built. And I think one of the part that I don't want us to skip over before we move into what you were just talking about there is that he says, once a dividend is declared, its value is guaranteed from that point over. It can never be taken away. And he says, isn't that, isn't that funny? If you think of the word security, right? What's more secure than a guarantee? But the, the part that we get in the investment world, they use the word security as well. And he says, isn't that kind of uh, an oxymoron when they use the word security, yet it can lose 100% of its value? <laughs> I mean, I, I love that part when he's kind of pointing some of these just simple things out. But he's talking about when these policies are built, 
He said, here, they may go through different times. They may go through different seasons where the interest rate that is earned on the portfolio is less than expected. They may go through times where the period of dev claims or administrative expenses are higher than they anticipated. He says that that results in what a downer for the company. That's right. But, when, but he says normally when this happens, who has to pick up the slack? It would be the stockholders generally. The stockholders, but these insurance companies that we use, mutual life insurance policy uh, companies, don't have stockholders, do they? No. No. So he says, because you don't have that, the people who are putting these policies together, the rate makers, as he refers to them, they must make up for that in a different form. So what is it that they do? They calculate and they increase it, increase the cost. So if they assume it's going to cost a dollar, they charge a dollar ten. Right. Right. So from the very beginning, that extra money, which is why these policies are tax free. This is why we can actually, when that dividend comes to us, we don't have to declare that as income because he's saying this is not a taxable event because all it is is a return of premium. We've right. overpaid. That's right. This, this is a beautiful thing when we think about the way these policies are designed. Why are these policies going to continue to flourish into the future, even if we're in, a, um, in, in an environment that is not positive, right? We've gone through several of these in, in our country's 200-year history. Well, it's because these companies are building these policies not off the minimum, just like you said earlier on in, in the episode when you were talking about, I think, maybe, talking about people putting in the uh, smallest amount and hoping yeah. for a big result. That makes me think of 401ks, right? Absolutely. How many people do you know who are putting in, they, they say, oh, I want to put in what the company matches. And let's just assume the company matches 3%. And it may be 100% of 3%, maybe half of 3%. We see it all. And they go, I mean, I'm putting up to company match. So let's just assume the company's giving you all 3% and you're putting in 3%. That's 6% total. And they're like, got it covered now. <laughs> all is well. Because right? yep. I'm going to be able to live in the future off of 6% that I save today for 100% of my expenses in the future. Yeah, so, so there's two things going on there. One, we are taking a vehicle and we are asking it to accomplish more than it can, number one. And number two, we are also, in a sense, banking on our lifestyle costs to be reduced drastically in order for that to take place. We're not banking on it, but it's going to happen. It's reality. I mean, that's the thing is that, but, but that's the world that we live in is that, hey, I want to try to buy this penny stock and watch it go to bazillion dollars. Or I'm going to buy Bitcoin and watch it go back up to 20,000 or whatever it may be. And I'm going to hope, so I'm going to put as little as I can into these things and hope for this large result. And he's saying, if you really start diving into these insurance companies, you start seeing the way they operate, you, you realize that, man, these dividends, these things get bigger and bigger as time goes on. I think of it in a long-term approach, going back to what you said, it's kind of three steps are one, think long range. Two, don't be afraid to capitalize. Don't be afraid to put money in these things over time. It, and it's funny, he, he talks about the policy he bought in 1959. He said that the annual oh. dividend is over 10 times the annual premium. That's when he wrote this book in 2000. You and I saw the actual statement just last year before he passed and how much was the dividend more than what he was putting in? 
I don't recall the exact number, but it was way more than 10 times his premium. It was almost 15 times at that point. Yeah. That was, the, that was the awkward time we were at lunch and he unbuttoned his shirt and pulled a statement out from his shirt. And we were just totally dumbfounded until we knew what it was. <laughs> yeah. He just gotten it out of the mailbox where he came to eat lunch with this was just kind of funny, but he kind of goes through that process and telling us how these policies are built. But then he goes into okay, here's where the real problem lies. What's happening is that people are, are paying for things. So he goes through that example of what we talked about earlier on the show is they, they calculate how much this individual needs for life insurance. They go buy them a term policy, put as little as they possibly can for it. Gives the example of the guy putting in $50 a month to buy his $400,000 term policy. And then he turns around and goes and buys his car, finances it, and is paying $260 a month there. And what he doesn't see is that the $50 a month that he's paying in term costs is going to the insurance company. He's paying $260, which is going to a finance company that got their money from that same insurance, insurance company. <laughs> exactly. They're it's, all connected. It's, it's, yeah. it's like incest. You know, yeah. there's something going on behind the scenes here. Well, he says, I've never seen an insurance company's balance sheet where they didn't have huge blocks of money that had been lent to finance companies. Right. And he said, people cannot get out of the way. He said, there's this mental block with financial geniuses that life insurance is some sort of poor, uh, poor place to store money, but it's because of the way they're really telling people to put money um, into places. Think about the guy that got you your insurance policy. You're putting $200 a month in, and literally like $100 a month of it was going to build up cash. The rest of it was paying for insurance costs. Hundred dollars a year, you mean? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, come on, let's let's be real here. The, this is a critical line in this chapter that I don't want us to miss. So Nelson says when he's talking about the financial geniuses, which you've already heard us, um, you know, talk about our friend Dave, and it says that basically they are telling people they don't understand what is going on in the banking world. So why, so this is important to me, you know, why does he say that the financial geniuses are not focused on what's happening in the banking world. They're focused on how little you can put towards life insurance, how much you can put into savings and other investment vehicles. And they're missing the point that this is one big pool of money and you should be taking advantage of the, the profits going on in the banking world, but they're not even considering it. No wonder their advice has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Think about this. Apply this to your scenario. Have you ever said, man, I need to be putting more in my retirement account? Hey, by the way, I've got uh, my kids. I need to be putting money into their college uh, funding. Hey, I need to be saving up for the vacation that I have coming up. Or I need to uh, be buying cars. Right. What we start doing is that we start putting our money in these little buckets and then we start getting so micro-focused on what's happening in those individual buckets. And this is, this is the point, the mistake that we see, you and I see on a very regular basis, that we see people who have money set aside for kids, uh, futures, we've got money for their own retirement, they've got money for these other things. And then over here off to the side, they've got this lifestyle expense, and typically it's in the form of some sort of interest rate, right, expense. We see right. it maybe credit cards or whatever, consumer debt or other things that happens. And... And it's like, okay, wait a second. If we if we look at this thing from a holistic standpoint, why are we not combining these things together? 
getting more functionality, putting them more under our control, eliminating this interest rate expense that we have over here, bringing that interest payment into the house. Well, doesn't that extra interest that's earned now, instead of being given away to the other institution, doesn't that help for paying for our kids' college? Won't that be money that we can use for our own retirement? Won't that help us buy the next car? Won't that help us go on the next vacation? All those sort of things. But we get so micro-focused, and that's kind of what he says. He goes, if the person would look back and realize that they're actually paying $50 um, directly to the pool um, in the form of insurance premiums, $260 indirectly, if they'd muster up the courage to pay the full $310 directly to the life insurance company in the form of a premium for about four years, now they could take a policy loan out and pay for the next car with cash. Yeah. This, this reminds me of when, you know, you first introduced this to me, I had a term policy that was $2 million. And I thought, man, I am like, I'm dad of the year. Like there's no chance. I mean, I'm way over insured. If anybody, you know, from the outside looking in, they're like, man, that guy's got way, way too much insurance. But when I started looking at it from the finance side of things, and looking at my need for cash, like he says, my need for finance was far greater than my need for death benefit protection. I ended up with over $3 million of whole life. So I didn't have that expense anymore. The need for that life insurance expense is gone because now I've got something that will be forever in my yeah. life. It won't, it won't stop at the end of the term. And in fact, it's now since doubled and tripled. I mean, this is not this is not um, a minimalist view of death benefit. It's, it's going to expand with my need because my fi- need for finance is expanding. Well, when you were solving for your need for finance, what happened is you created a cash flow for the rest of your life based upon never having to pay for that term cost of gun. And that is what we see oftentimes because he says toward the end of the chapter, he says, would, would you have much of a grocery store business if you were only, if you were the only customer, right? What, he, what he's saying is you must build a policy that would accommodate, accommodate the needs of others, plenty other people. Those are the people that are ultimately going to start paying those premiums for you. Those right. are the people that are going to actually start paying the loan repayments. How are you going to do that, Joey? We got to expand the system. You got to have multiple policies. What are you going to do with the cash though? Oh, you got to put it to work. In what? In whatever you know, your business and in the other parts of the hierarchy of wealth, we talk about real estate, lending, and other things. We're going to take over the banking function for other people. Exactly. So he's kind of describing how this insurance policy can become a system of policies. And we knew Nelson at his at his peak had 49 policies. Right. And as he, you know, later on in life, he started giving those away to kids and grandkids and so forth and so on. He said it was the greatest estate plan is to die with nothing. Right. <laughs> he got to a point where he was he was gifting all of these things away to kids and grandkids and stuff like that. But he says, like you said at the very beginning, this is a, a long term process um, that right now all our income goes through the books of someone else's bank. But yet if we follow this process and it may take the average person 20 to 25 years to build a banking system through life insurance so that they can accommodate all of their needs for homes autos, real estate, all that different stuff. But once you do that, that can be now passed along to future generations. And as long as you'll teach them, as long as you'll show them how this process works so that they don't steal it, right? His second big key, or his last big key is, you know, first is think long range, two, don't be afraid to 
capitalize and his third one is don't steal the peas. If you will do this, you accommodate all the needs for the future generations as well. And wouldn't that be an awesome thing? Absolutely. So, so here's the thing. We're going to wrap this up today. If you haven't read this book, go to our show notes and buy the book. This is a game changer for your life. And as you can see, even for generations to come, um, if you have read the book, go read it again. This is, this is how we are consistently growing and changing. The more we read this, the more we realize that we didn't know or we're missing or having to expand upon at this stage of life. So go and read the book. Lastly, that we have created a community for you, for you to continue to learn how these things work, how people are using them. We're doing case studies within our community. Um, it hasn't launched yet. So you have an opportunity to sign up at community.wealthwithoutwallstreet.com. Go in there, sign up. You'll be the first one to know when it goes live and you'll actually get a 50% discount off of the monthly fee. So this is a, a great opportunity for you. Whether you have a policy or not, you want to learn about Wealth Without Wall Street, you want to learn about becoming your own banker, this is the place to do it and have access to all of the resources that we have. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to dive into um, some interviews coming up, and then we're going to get back into the human factors within the book, Becoming Your Own Banker. So if you uh, don't already have the book, buy it. If you already have it, be reading through it. Love to uh, get your guys' comments on the podcast as well. Thank you as always. Look forward to hearing and talking to you later. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.